Mimosas with Michael. Mimosas with Michael. Mimosas with Michael. Hey everybody, it's Michael Colom with Mimosas with Michael. Welcome back for another exciting episode. This week I have uh, my new friend, Isaac Thorne. Right. Isaac, right? <laughs> yes, thank you. Uh, glad to be here. Yeah, so you and I have been friends, social media friends for a minute, but um, I thought it'd be kind of fun to have you on the show for several reasons. One, you like horror, so that's already a good reason to be on the show. Um. But you, you had a, you have a book that I feel like came out recently. So I was it came excited. out in um, uh, 2019. Oh, in but 2019, I just bought, the Gordon Place. Uh, the Gordon Place. Yes. And I just bought mine recently, and I've been reading it, and I'm enjoying it. So you, you want to tell us a little bit about it, like where it came from, how it came about, and what made you decide to publish this book? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the Gordon Place is. Um, my first novel. It's not the first time I've I've attempted a novel. Um, I have a few in uh, in uh, various desk drawers around my house, but um, yeah. the Gordon Place is the first one I've published, and um, it's about a small town, freshly elected constable, who um, Basically, he gets trapped in his abandoned childhood home and is forced to confront um, his family's um, history, um, specifically in the form of his his dead father. Um, there's a lot of um, of childhood trauma he suffered at the hands of his father. Um, and he's also struggled to overcome his his father's um, political leanings. I guess is is the way you would put that. His <laughs> his father's uh, horrible uh, racism. Oh, it's very apropos right now, especially with being trapped there. Say what I'm saying. I'm so I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I say it feels very apropos because like we're heading into the into the holidays. But then it's also with whole, what we're just doing so much with like Black Lives Matter and everything. So this feels very apropos and important, very uh, important right now. Yeah, absolutely. the The main thing I wanted to to hit with the novel was that uh, generational racism. I, I've always mm -hmm. believed that hate is something you learn; it's not something you're born with. And in my area of the country in particular, it's something that is passed down from fathers to sons, from, you know, mothers to daughters, yeah. and has been carried forward throughout the history of this, this country and the history of the, the South, and really shouldn't be. There, there's no reason for, for that hate to exist so i kind of wanted to explore explore that theme how it gets um how it gets ingrained in your your um 
psyche and and certain things that you grow up believing especially in this area uh, uh, turn out not to be reality yeah well i think that's that's this very brave of you to, to be able to tackle something and it's crazy that in 2019 2020 it's still it's still something that we're having to deal with and write about you know what i'm saying absolutely yeah that's awesome man i'm absolutely. really excited for you Thank you very much. It's uh, it it was quite a journey for me. It it actually um, it started with that first chapter. I don't know how far in the book you've gotten, but it it began for a long time as just that first chapter of okay. uh, Graham Gordon, the protagonist, getting um, kind of uh, accidentally falling into this role as constable, and then getting trapped in his. Um, the the basement of his childhood home and that's a scene that i had in my head for a long time but i didn't know where where to go with it so i wrote that first chapter years ago and it was only in 2018 that that the entire story started to come together around the the theme of generational racism and um and took shape from there so it's been rattling around in my head for a long long time and and finally came out through the fingertips you know that's awesome yeah you know it's interesting because when i was younger and i was writing uh i always wanted to be a novelist and so I, when i was a kid i had this idea of like i would just write novels that change the world and then as i got older and i i was writing but i was i did a lot of short stories and i was in the process of i've started a few novels but somehow i fell into more um filmmaking and script writing so you know it, but I, I know what you're saying it's like you always have these ideas and you're like how do I expand them and sometimes I mean it takes I had a play produced in 2011 and it took me about three or four years from that point I wanted to turn it into a movie and it, it's like it was interesting because it's such a different concept so it, you know I had to sit and wait and sit on it and let like sort of let it percolate in my head until I found the sort of road it needed to go down if that makes sense yeah, I, I, I get that. I absolutely get that. I mean, it's, it's really, I've had a couple of, of short stories over the years that have sort of come out fully formed. You know, uh, yeah. the majority of my stuff, it, it's an idea, um, you know, in the back of my head and in the back of my mind. And, and over time, it'll finally develop. Sometimes it doesn't even develop until I actually sit down and start punching the keys. Um, like yeah. with the Gordon place, I, I really didn't know how it was going to eventually turn out. Uh, the characters sort of grabbed the story and, and ran with it. Um, yeah, characters do that sometimes. Developed. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So how, how, so it took you about, about a year, a little over a year to write this then? Yeah, I would. Uh, well, like I said, the first chapter was written for a long time. I yeah. started the uh, the rest of it with a, a sort of a nightly sit down, probably around the middle of 2018, uh, summer of 2018, and then um, uh, released it in the spring of 2019. So almost oh, wow. a year. Yeah, that's actually really good. You must must have been totally focused. I just I just know when I write. I mean, when I was trying to write novels, I do forever. But I think I don't know. I think it's just as we get older, we write a lot. I mean, it's, it's the same thing with um, 
with features, I'll have a short and I'll try to adapt it. And it's like, as long as I have an idea and I know what I want, it could, it could take a few weeks, a couple of months, but it, but novels are so in depth because you, you know, like with movies, we, we eventually make it. So it's, that's the form. But with novels is you really have to encompass your readers into this world. So you have, you have to create like all the senses when you write. So I can see what tips. I think a year Absolutely. is really good. There's, there's a lot of, well, thank you. Thank you. And, and it was a nightly thing. I mean, I, I tried, I set a goal of, of 2000 to 2,500 words per night. Oh, wow. And you know, once you get the first draft done, you, it, that's not the end, <laughs> you know, oh, then no. there's the going back and, and rewriting. Um, and, you know, I added chapters and I took chapters out and, and there were whole characters that, that uh, were kindled in there that never went anywhere and were eventually extracted. So, so yeah, it's a, it's a pretty intense process once you get involved in it. How many how many rewrites did you do? Do you remember? I did. I the first rewrite after the first draft. I I put it away for a couple of weeks after the first draft and went Smart. back and started. Yeah, started my first rewrite. That took uh, that took a while. I don't remember how long exactly. I I on my first rewrite. Okay. Each time I went through it, it got a little bit faster. Uh, because okay. there was less to change. So I think all told, I'd, I probably went through the manuscript twice more after that first rewrite. So three rewriting phases total. I don't know if that's normal or not, but that doesn't seem like a lot, I think, for a novel. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. I, I Like I said, it, it was... It's the first... I have plenty of first drafts stored, you know... Oh yeah, in various yeah. places around the house, but uh, but that's the first one I I've gone back and done that whole rewrite process with, and you know then of course it goes once you're done with that it goes to beta readers and editors and yeah. and um, you know there are even further changes. So it it takes a lot to bring a 350 page novel to uh, to life in its final yeah. form, you know. No, I yeah. Like again, I'm very proud of you for doing that. Um, I only I, I got the ebook though because I, I I love hard books, but recently because I travel so much, I just read everything on my, I have a tablet, so it's much easier for me to just it's there when I need it. And I'm ready to go. But I did see that it was quite lengthy, so um, I'm excited because I haven't read a novel in a while. <laughs> I, I read scripts so often now, so um, this is fun. So I, I'm I'm really excited about that, and that's and that's really that's really exciting. So congratulations on finishing your your project. Thank you very much, and I'm I've already started on my my next one, which uh, is set in the same town but a different time period. It's it's set in the fifties, and you know different theme, different subjects there. But uh, so yeah, that's that's what I'm doing now, trying to carve out time every night to uh, to mm. to work on that one. I'm hoping to have it in some sort of completed form by the middle of next year. So. Well, it's, it's kind of, I mean, I hate to say this, but like in this particular way, but it's good that like we have a lot of downtime right now because of the, of the pandemic that it's kind of like, well, I might as well write. I have the time in a, in a sense, you know, I know it's, <laughs> there's a lot of other things going on because I know a lot of people's mental states uh, can be affected, but I'm glad that you're able to find a way to be creative and do something during this time. 
Yeah, and it's not it, it's not um, necessarily an easy thing to do. I, I, I mean, when the pandemic started, and and um, you know, suddenly people like me who um, who were able to were working remotely. Um, I honestly did think, well, this is going to be easier for me to to carve out, you know, time to work on this next project. And yet, there are days, you know, I I wake up and I look at uh, the Twitter trends, or I turn on the news, or you know, I get an email from from one of the newspapers that I, the digital newspapers I subscribe to, and there's just something in there that, that takes the wind out of your sails. Um, you know, and it, it's, it's not that you're necessarily um, directly personally affected by whatever is going on in the world, yeah. but there's so much going on with the pandemic and the, you know, election and, uh, yeah. And the, uh, civil unrest or or whatever you want to call you know protests and everything there's just so much going on that it can overwhelm your your brain and you find yourself ruminating about that and not able to to shut it out in order to get the words on the page and it there really is a shutout that needs to happen when you're sitting down to write or when i'm sitting down to write anyway um uh, Stephen King once described it as falling into this world you're creating, you yeah. know, and everything around you just kind of vanishes. And it's, it's more difficult to get into that mindset um, when all these, you know, world distractions or, or real world distractions are happening. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's funny you say that because I, I think people who don't write, and I, I, I still this a lot when I, when I was writing, but, I don't think people realize that the, the sort of like personal commitment it takes. It's almost like people, you know, when people are so committed to going to the gym and it's such a focus, it's the same with us. It's like, not only do you have to define the time to, to literally sit down and write, but it's like, you have to be able to turn off those outside distractions because you have to really f- just focus like, like, yeah, like just lose yourself in this whole world and then like realize like, you know, I, now I'm with this guy who's trapped in his parents, you know, garage, uh, his basement, you know, How's he going to get out? And I don't think people realize the sort of like mental commitment it takes to do something like that. You're absolutely right. I think the gym analogy is a perfect one because any, even if you manage to, to get up and get out of the bed, get out of bed and, you know, and, and find it within you to drive to the gym, there's still the mental energy you need to actually get on that treadmill or, or pick up those weights or, or you know, whatever it is you're going to do. Um, it's not just having the physical wherewithal to do that. You, you actually have to be in the mindset. Yeah. And, and there's so many outside distractions, like, you know, the news or like, you know, if you have a significant other, or, you know, or if your family's calling, it's like, you just like, and then they get mad because you're like, why aren't you answering my phone calls? You're just sitting at your desk. And you're like, I mean, yes, I'm sitting at my desk, but you don't understand that. Like, I'm like, I just have to just shut you out and just focus. So I, I, I've learned that from when I talk to people, they're like, oh, I didn't realize that like it took so much. And you're like, yeah, but you know, actors do the same thing when I'm on, when I'm on a set. It's like, they don't bring their phone to set as much because they're trying to stay focused on like their lines that they memorize, they're blocking where the camera's at. So, you know, 
having it's the same thing for us it's like you know that's why um they make like i have the remarkable tablet and i don't know if you're familiar with that but what's so great about mm-hmm. this particular tablet is it's um it's it's a tablet where it's just meant to be like a digital pad so there's no other apps to distract you it's just you can sit down and write by hand and stuff so i like stuff like that because i'm so easily distracted by instagram and twitter and facebook and Snapchat. I mean, if it's if it's a social media thing, it's on my phone. My phone goes off constantly, so it's really it's really easy to be distracted today in 2020. Yeah, the the social media component adds adds a whole other level to it, um, especially if you if you access it on your phone and you don't turn off the notifications for it, yeah. or even if you've just even if you've got the sound notifications off and and the phone sitting beside you and you see the the display light up, you know your eyes are automatically drawn to that. So well, I, I have, have to, watch, to silence mine and turn it over. <laughs> yeah and i'm oh, a smartwatch yeah well i mean i like it because i do work from home so I, I can't miss important things but like i can i can tell my watch like these are the only things i need to be notified for so like i can turn off off the the social medias and just put like if it's just a, an email that's important or a phone call or a text so that's nice so that way i could still work and not miss oh, important cool. things um, but you know the, you have all you have all of those those distractions, but you're also coupled with the fact that like we are in the middle of a pandemic. There is a lot of things going on. The news is just not that exciting right now. I guess maybe except for the for the fact that we might have a vaccine hopefully in the near future. But overall, yeah. not that exciting. A lot of a lot of things that are hard to watch that can really hurt your soul. Yeah, and it's it's not only you know just that it's bad news. It's bad news that's like a uh, it's like a lava flow. It's slow and yeah. and dragging on. It's you know, and you you see what looks like this disaster oncoming, and there's there's nothing you can really do about it but watch it. Yeah. When you watch it, it's sort of, it's sort of like like that morbid curiosity of like a train wreck. You're like, I shouldn't be watching this, but I'm also can't be like, you just can't be pulled away. So absolutely not crazy. Um, but, I, but I'm happy for you. I'm glad that you're, you're able to sit down and start on your second novel and, um, and get it out there. I'm excited. Maybe, you know, it, it'd be great when you're done. We can have you back on the show to talk about it. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. I'd, I'd appreciate that. So, um, are you, is horror like your favorite genre? Cause I know you a lot through the, all the horror stuff, but I don't really know like if there's other things mm-hmm. that you're interested in. Horror is is my main uh, genre. It's it's the one that's been with me ever since I was a little kid and saw the Universal monsters on you know television late at night. Yeah, I've always been fascinated by by the monsters, and as I got older, you know the the slashers came in, Michael Myers and um and all that, which I was really too young to watch when I first saw it. And uh, yeah. that seems to be a common theme among horror fans. <laughs> but yeah. if I have a, a secondary... No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. I'm just listening. I'm just listening. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm just intrigued um, by if what I you had a, uh, uh, If I had a, uh, a secondary genre, it would be sci-fi and fantasy. Um and oh, yeah, okay. horror and sci-fi and fantasy often go hand in hand, you know. Yeah, they really My favorite do. issue of Mad Magazine ever was the uh the horror and sci-fi summer special in like I think 1983. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I my still God. have that somewhere. 
I am. I remember Mad Magazine because I remember at the the Vire final page, you could fold it in like thirds, and it created a different picture, which I thought was really a cool concept. Yes, the fold in. Yeah. Fold-in. I mean, just, I do. I couldn't begin to because to, to, I don't draw, so I couldn't even imagine how somebody would even do that. And they did, every every issue is so is so interesting. I actually, when I was very young um, and had a, a minor comic book collection along with Mad Magazines, I actually thought I might want to get into that. And, you know, I tried to draw uh, cartoons, but I was never never particularly good at it. So I oh, started yeah. writing instead. <laughs> writing is my forte, too. That's one thing. I mean, I, I, I did a lot of acting and, and singing in theater and stuff, but really writing was my one passion, you know. And so I, I understand with you on that one. That's that's why I that's why I'm, um, that's why I wanted to, to to commend you on writing this novel because I know as 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 a fellow writer how difficult it is. I mean I've never done a novel because I was trying to be a novelist and then I ended up going into filmmaking and writing scripts. So finishing a novel to me is like a massive undertaking. You know I actually I think that's a complete lie. I actually did write one little probably like a hundred page novel when I was probably a teenager like in high school or like early college, but I never did anything. Awesome. I have to, I have to find that. Well, you should, if you still, if you, yeah, I was going to say, if you still have it, you should go back to it because a lot of times, I mean, I'll find earlier stuff that I did and it, it sparks something and, and you may start in on it again. You never know. I think it was called terror in the sky. It was about a plane crash. That's so random. I haven't thought about that in years until right nice. now. See, that's why I do the podcast, because it makes me think of all these things I forgot about in my life. Absolutely. You should go dig it up. So, so you, I want to say, um, you, live in, you live in the South. I think you live in Tennessee, right? Because we're part of this, of the Tennessee Horror News Network. Yes, that okay. is correct. I live in uh, southern middle Tennessee. Nice. I don't know if you know um, my writing partner, Brantley. I think you know him as well. He, I think he's from that area. I did not know he's from this area, but I, yeah, I, I know him from social media. Um, and in fact, I believe it was, uh, believe it was, it was one of your uh, short films that you two worked on together that connected us. Um, I'm trying to think of the name of it right now. Was it Love Me Not? It might've been Love Me Not. Well, our first one was Soundbite and then it was Stock. So it might've been Love Me Not. I don't, you know. The- I remember Soundbite. Yeah, it might have been soundbite because that was the first one we did with with us together for Horror House. But then, like, I think, but I already actually knew of you guys because uh, a few years ago I had submitted a short film that I wrote. It was the script, not the movie. It was in a script into this festival called Horror in the Hills Film Festival. Oh and, yeah, and it ended up winning first place. And if I remember correctly, I. I got in touch with Tennessee Horror News Network because they did, they did a podcast and I was a guest on their podcast, talking about the short, the script. And then because I do horror so much, yeah, yeah, they, we just kept in touch. And so then when we did Soundbite, he was from the South. I, I, Brantley's technically from Missouri, but his his uh, husband's from Tennessee, and they met when he lived down there. And so, gotcha. yeah, and so they, so I connected them because I was like, these are your people, Brandon. Like, oh, you were down there. I go, I, I bet they would love to know that, you know, there's another horror filmmaker that's from there. 
So that's, I think we all yeah, got that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. But then, it's, yeah. It's strange how the social, social media web uh, is woven, you know? <laughs> Especially when it comes to something so genre specific as like horror, because there's a lot of loyalty, I think, amongst the fans and, and the people who, who enjoy the genre. Yeah, I I agree with that completely, and uh, that's one of the things I I really appreciate about horror Twitter or, or the fans on you know Facebook and Instagram is they're all connected by by this this experience, this love for this genre that not everybody understands, and I yeah. think it it makes horror fans a friendlier group of people we all get that we're weirdos, you know? <laughs> yeah. I always tell people that when so, I go to these, so we're, no, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say that we are, we're willing to forgive uh, each other's, not only forgive, but embrace each other's weirdness because of it. I actually, I actually like to tell people that um, the one thing I love about people in horror is we're also well adjusted because like we just watch horror. And so like we get a lot of our, our frustrations and fears and, and things by watching horror movies. And then, it, you know, we sort of feel sort of, it's kind of cathartic, I guess. Because yes, absolutely. I, I agree with that a hundred percent. Because I've seen some people, you know, you can see like the biggest burliest guy with all these tattoos and stuff. And you're like, Oh my God, that guy looks so scary. But then like, and he likes horror movies. Oh my God, he's gotta be evil. And then you talk to him. And he's like just this teddy bear of a person, you know? And yeah, it's just like, yeah. yeah, but I do, I, I have found this out um, in the course of just being a horror filmmaker and a horror fan of my life is that you never know who likes horror ever, you know? Yeah. It's not like, you know, you, you don't see it written on a face or, or, you know, yeah. in somebody's hairstyle or, or something like that. It's people from all walks of life. Um, yeah you know, fall, fall into the, uh, the horror fandom. Well, it's interesting because there are those that are the hardcore fans that like will have tattoos and will, um, they do have tattoos and will have, um, like the shirts with like logos and stuff on it or movies, but, um, they, but for the most part, yeah. I mean, there's just, you know, some random person you might be next to, you would never think, you know, this might be dressed up in a suit and they're like, Oh yeah, I love horror. And people tell me all the time, and like, wow, I would have never would have mistaken you for somebody like Sora. And that's what I like about the genre. Then it's like we have this mutual thing, and then we're talking about it. You know, we just look like, I guess, quote unquote, normal people. But really, it's just we're talking about yeah, yeah, horror movie. And they're like, oh, what's your favorite horror movie? And then we we start swapping stories, and it's that's always sort of a fun thing. So. Yeah. And you used to be able to, you know connect with people if you see them reading uh like reading a stephen king novel um yep. you know because you'd see the novel people read on tablets now and you don't <laughs> you don't really see that connection in real life so you know i'm thankful for social media connecting so many horror fans together yep exactly or it's kind of cool when they make a, a sort of horror reference you know like i was talking to um, jeffrey on my on a, on a previous podcast and he's like it's always funny when it's out about and around people and people will say something and go, oh, that's such a Final Destination moment. And he's like, oh, you know, it's like when it's always referencing something cool like that. So I, I, I like that, you know, those kind of those kind of moments. So what's your favorite yes. horror movie? 
My favorite horror movie. Um, I have several, but the one I have repeatedly cycled back to over the years is the 1985 Fright Night. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, and yeah it's, it's not only my favorite horror movie, it's my favorite um, vampire movie uh of all time and that you know that includes all of the incarnations of dracula and and hammer and everything that um for some reason when i was a teenager that movie really connected for me and i didn't get to see it in the theater because i was too young to get into an r-rated movie yeah but um but i saw it on cable when it hit cable and i fell in love with it i recorded it to to a VHS tape and I watched that thing <laughs> over and over and over. I, remember those and I could not get enough of it. Yes. Um, yeah. And people would come over to my house and I would say, you have to see this movie, you know? So, so it's, it's always going to be fright night for me. Oh, I like that answer. Did you, did you like the remake that came out a few years with Colin, with Colin Farrell? Colin Farrell, right? Yeah. I'll tell you. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I had, um, I made the mistake of having an anti-remake prejudice at the time that I sat down and watched that movie the first time. I um, I was one of those people who is simply against remakes for remakes' sake. Yeah. And so I watched it, and because of my nostalgia for the, the 1985 movie, I was determined that I hated it. I didn't like what they did with the Peter Vincent character, making him this illusionist instead of, you know, a washed up uh, actor. And then I sat down with a couple of other people a few years later and watched it again and decided that I was just, I was going to divorce it from the, my, my love for the 85 version in my mind. And once I did that, I really, really enjoyed it. And I, I don't love it like I love the original, and, and I never will. But in its own right, it's, I, I think it's a good movie. Oh, I mean, I, I'm the same way when it comes to, to remakes. I'm not a big remake fan, but sometimes it's hit or miss, and I think that one was a good one. I, was, like, yeah. I wasn't a fan yeah, of the I Nightmare. I agree. Yeah. So some remakes is whatever, but... Yeah, I'm. I'm. I, the original one's always like the best one because that's what made you fall in love with the series. But um, that one's definitely a good one. Some. some Actually, t- even uh, I. <laughs> right. I even wrote a. I wrote a column for for uh, Tennessee Horror News a couple of years ago. Uh, that was was titled "How to Enjoy a Horror Movie Remake," and it was about that entire experience of. You know, well, first of all, is it actually a remake or is it an adaptation uh, from the same source material? You have to 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 think about that and and try yeah. to to divorce your mind from from someone daring to remake this beloved uh, <laughs> um, uh, film from your past and and watch it on its own merits. And yeah, if yeah. it's still a bad film it's still a bad film <laughs> but if it's not enjoy it yeah it's just i know that it's always interesting because i know they're trying to bring it to like a new audience and a younger audience but i'm always like why can't you just why can't they just like the original you know but they right. do the same thing with songs uh, and, and there stuff, is so. yes yeah 
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and you know, there is there's a wealth of of fresh original source material out there as well. So there is there is a certain amount of cynicism that goes into choosing to remake a, an existing popular um, film or or adaptation um, because you you they're making the assumption that there's there's um, uh, definite money there because of the name you know of of whatever it is they're remaking the uh, and the built-in audience for it so i i think there's an unwillingness on the part of mainstream filmmakers anyway to actually look for original source material that can make an excellent movie yeah oh i agree that's awesome well i i i wish you luck on your on your second book man i mean again it's a huge undertaking but you've already proven that you can do it so now you know no pressure but you got to Gotta, I you know, that. I was going to do better. I'm the same way. When I finish a project, I'm like, great, I did it. Now I got to do it again, and I got to do it better. <laughs> I got to learn from the first one. Right. <laughs> but, I mean, exactly. You know, if, exactly. You have to take those lessons. Yeah, but, you know, we want to grow as artists. That's what we want. Absolutely. So where can we find and the book? It's I'm, on, I'm trying to hurry up and take my time. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. Life is precious, we're finding out. So, so your book is on Amazon only, um, right? Uh, it is. It is actually on uh, most uh, retail outlets. So you can get it on Amazon. You can get it at Barnes and Noble. Oh, nice. Um, you know, you can you can order it through Books a Million, or you can go to indiebound.org or bookshop.org and order it from your local independent bookseller, which would be an awesome thing to do for your local economy right now yes please help local businesses and then where can we find you on the socials for when you're actually using it rather than when you're you not can... writing <laughs> <laughs> right. you, know. uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter Facebook and Instagram at Isaac R Thorn and that is Thorn with an E and uh, yes. my website which is IsaacThorn.com and you're very you're very active on social media mostly um Twitter. You have a good Twitter. You're very active on Twitter, I've noticed. So that's a good place to get a hold of you. So you guys get his book, read it, message him on Twitter, and tell him what you think about it. Support local artists. And you can get his ebook. It's easy to download. I, I bought it. It was there right five seconds later. So anyways, my friend, it was a pleasure to talk to you. I, I, the show's almost over. It goes really fast. Yeah, it did go. It did go really fast. And I know you listen to every episode. Again, I appreciate you having me on. Oh, dude, my pleasure. I yeah. Look, I tell you, I said every show, it goes fast, but it goes. I, I look down, I'm like, wow, the show's already over. I try to keep it about 30 minutes. So, you know, I just get, we just want to get the good, the good nuggets of who you are, just enough to get people to go out and want to read your, your work and support yeah, you. And I appreciate it. I, I, I hope I was able to keep the, uh, the half hour interesting. <laughs> no, you're very entertaining. This is the first time. This is the first time you and I've ever talked because we usually uh, talk via social media. Yeah. So I was like, I don't even know what your voice sounds like. You knew mine because you listened to the show. So th <laughs> this was the first, everybody. This is the first time I heard your voice. I didn't know what to expect. Yeah. And we do have to apologize. You would, <laughs> have, vid you you would have video. 
but you said where you are, you don't have the best internet service. I, yeah, unfortunately I am stuck with, um, with, with sucky internet and the video upstream on that. If I enabled video, you would see a bunch of colorful squares, uh, more than anything. <laughs> so I just don't even bother. <laughs> well, that's okay. This is, this is a podcast first before you can, you know, but I do put the, um, I try to put the video online. So like, it'll jump up back and forth between me, my, me, video and you as a picture it's fine it's no big deal the important thing is people need to listen to it and and find out who isaac is and go to go check out the gordon place so we'll put that in the show notes we'll put that in the show notes and then as you progress on your on your second novel or any more short stories please let us know and we'll let the audience know i will absolutely Awesome, Isaac. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. You guys, you can check Mimosas with Michael on Spotify, iHeartRadio. It's available on Apple Podcasts. Um, pretty much, you know, wherever, wherever I, you can get a podcast, it's there. We're also on YouTube and Instagram TV. So just research Mimosas with Michael. Again, thank you to my guest, Isaac Thorne with an E. And check out The Gordon Place, now available on Amazon and small retail bookstores.